Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is 5.12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Max Cohen. I'm the lead writer for the Museum of Crypto Art. And joining me as he does every week from the same place, we're actually next to each other. This is Colborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. What is up, Colborn? Can you believe it? We're here together. We are in this beautiful. This is great. Yeah. Kingston, New York. It's lush. It's green. It's the sun hot is outside. shining. The sun is still shining. And uh, we're going to talk about a smiley topic today. Well, it's going to get smiley. It might start out pretty bleak, but <laughs> who else is new? Uh, today, we want to talk about how to survive a crypto cycle. This should by no means be taken as medical advice. It is purely anecdotal. So, Colborn, how do you survive a crypto cycle? Well, I, I should say that we're here enjoying a, a cold beverage, which is a good start. I think... Same having advice. done this right now for six years, having seen a couple ups, a couple downs, it has a way of making you feel almost like you're dead inside because you are so logical and methodical that you cannot attach yourself to the monetary aspect of it uh, because it is irrational and nonsensical and really unimportant and and really kind of like align yourself with like the long-term vision of where we need to go and, and working towards that. Mm. Yeah. It's hard to think about anything long-term, right? When everything's so momentary. So for those of you that don't know my history in crypto, um, I bought my first uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum in 2017 uh, on Coinbase. And I was so excited when that money quadrupled in the span of like a month. And I was so disappointed when it went almost entirely to zero within the span of about another month. I think I <laughs> invested about a thousand dollars and it went up to like a couple thousand dollars. And for the longest time, it was sitting there at like 80. I did not know at the time that this was like the great crypto winter of 2017 and 2018, which I've come to know is like pretty bleak. Uh, of course, I knew then that it was pretty bleak, but I wasn't as invested in this space in a emotional sense, right? I was also younger. I was a teenager. And so I was like, great. I made some money. I lost some money. Um, now that I have seen what these cycles look like from the inside, it's a lot more difficult, I think, to separate not just the like financial investment aspect of it, but also like just how much you emotionally invest your time into like building something and building like a, a foundation like Mocha and building like a catalog of writing like I have, you know, it's not just about a number in a bank account. It is somehow so much more of yourself that is then inflected by the number in the bank account. Um, and of course the number in the bank account makes all of those other things seem so much more important, less important. When Ethereum was ripping, I felt like a lot more of a quote unquote real writer than I do when Ethereum's not ripping and it's very quiet in the uh, crypto art timeline and dealing with that is, a daily struggle, you know? Man, I think, and I was talking with uh, Renee, the CTO, kind of about this earlier this week. Shout out, Renee. Shout out, Renee, one of the real ones. Like, 20, end of 2018, and like, all through 2019, being in my house, alone, eating ramen and working on the computer, not leaving you know, not spending any money, not doing anything. Watching charts, watching candles. 
watching candles, like managing things, like just kind of experiencing like that. I don't know that that loss. I wasn't even like attached to that because it was kind of like already gone, but wanting to believe that it would come back. Right. And just like holding on. And also like of all the things that it brings with it, right. All the opportunities and also all the like day-to-day victories, seeing your friends, you know, make art sales and they can be happy. And then, you know, meeting up at conferences and having excited jubilant conversations instead of, you know, I think a version of what happened at NFT NYC last year, you know, the conference that we were both at, which is like a lot of people saying, you doing okay? Yeah. But I mean, also like managing the jealousy is very real. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who like quote unquote made it and might've made it on the back of perhaps like other people or up and through other people. And maybe those, you know, there's a lot of interpersonal, relationships so it may it's it's a very individualistic journey totally right and it 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 makes you look at yourself and like figure out your morals and figure out what you are interested in and hopefully i mean i've seen people just get like consumed with these comparisons to to what everybody else has done and maybe thinking they deserve more or and it's really, that's really, really difficult to like manage and reconcile. I, I think you hit on a really important point now and earlier about like being alone in this. You know, it's, it's a fraction of, of what, you know, we're all going through now, but m- the first NFT I invested in was Topshop, um, yeah. which may not surprise anybody who listens to the full version of these podcasts <laughs> where I inevitably talk about Celtics at the end. Like I'm a basketball fanatic. And so I invested in Topshop at the very very top. Uh, and it crashed down. And I lost at that point more money than I had lost in a single investment in my life. And I will say that a crushing experience was made less crushing by the fact that I was investing with a buddy of mine. Uh, shout out my friend, Jake. Uh, love you, Jake. Um, Jake and I have been doing crypto stuff for quite a while. And he was with me when I was starting to invest in Solana as a crypto. And then also, you know, we still do Solana investing now. He's a great, you know, Solana builder. And it's different when you're in these cycles alone. Like when you said, when you're in your house alone and you're, you know, cracking a beer like this with a buddy is a lot different than cracking one by yourself uh, in a house or an apartment or somewhere where you're just looking at candles. That's why we're here together. Yeah, it is why we're here together. Um, And it's helpful to be here together. And one of the things I'm most grateful for at, at Mocha is the fact that we're all so, there is so much communication. There is so much like of a familial element because I know how important it is to, not be alone in these circumstances. Um, I've talked a million times about like making it 24 seven and how I just love the model of there just being a town hall for these folks outside of Twitter, which exacerbates these feelings of jealousy and pain and loss and all these other, you know, cardinal sins, wrath, but having a, a place to go to where you can not just share your pain, but also like, take out your pain, look at it, make fun of it if need be. Um, and maybe like take away some of its power, you know, that's maybe more advice for like all of life, but it does feel like we compress life into uh, really, really short timeframes here in crypto and crypto art specifically with so much of our spirits imbued into the thing. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, this is going to be kind of maybe a, a weird point to express, but like nobody also likes somebody who gloats 
on the back end of the down cycle, right? So like, I don't know if anybody, you know, was like, oh, like Top Shot was always worthless, right? And, a lot of people say that. Right. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people like don't get it and I'm sure you see it, but like, it's also no fun when people like pile on when you're losing money, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter if it's so managing that as well. Of course, there was a little bit of that with, I think, I think universally 98% of people were like, they're applauding the Dimitri goose sale, all of those, you Shout know, Dimitri. but that also so interestingly and like fascinating enough came on the back end of like a crypto fund blowing up. Yeah. Right. And like that being their best performing asset to me is, is actually very interesting. Why? Why? Because, because like within, because doesn't that speak to also like the timelessness of art and culture and these things having like incredible staying power. And I was really like kind of meditating on what the goose means. And sounds like it a is, Buddhist code. <laughs> it's like so interesting you know, it's so kind of like simple and elegant and perhaps like derivative, but like a million people have imbued their imagination into this thing to like recognize a common everyday object. But it's also, it is like very much that gateway into generative arts because this was not like something that somebody just like drew. This was something that was created from code. And the fact that it looks like this goose is actually it's like kind it's of like a miracle. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is pretty funny. <laughs> and like, you know, you can imagine. And just like an awesome spirit animal for crypto, right? It's just yeah, like, it's true. It's loud. It's like kind of remarkable if you look at it in a vacuum. Like if you just think about like, not a, not Dimitri's goose, but just like a goose walking across like the front lawn of like a mid-sized American colonial house. You're like, wow, that's like a big bird. And it's like really pretty. And like you don't appreciate the goose unless you're seeing it in a, I guess, environment where there are not usually geese, which I think is going to lead me ass backwards into a larger point about like recognizing the miraculous things that happen here, even amidst a shitstorm. Just as it's amazing that out of this 10,000 piece generative process, a goose emerged. It is amazing that any of this stuff emerges from these crypto quagmires, like this friendship, this business relationship is like a miraculous thing, considering it 90% of our interactions are online, maybe more than that. And it's like a lot of like jokes being made on Twitter about, you know, a topic that we both have incredibly diverse histories in. We've made incredibly diverse or have incredibly unique paths to getting here. So I would like to bring that around to a question, which is like, how do we better recognize the beautiful things that exist in crypto art, even when these cycles are crushing all of us together? Do you have a strategy for that? I suppose. Maybe this is ancillary, but it feels kind of to the point. And I, I, for, I can't, I personally think the art was better, like before the money was involved. Shout out money. Shout out money. <laughs> And I was like really pondering this week, like, am, like, am, have I reached the point of like where Dada is at, mm. right? Where this is just, it, they, they need to be inherently separated. And I think Mocha has always blurred this line. We've obviously like never played in the market, but there's, there's something to be said about like the observer effect 
into the thing that that somehow ruins it. So Instagram recently, you could choose to do away with the amount of with publicizing the amount of likes you get on a picture. You don't have to, but you can. It can just say like Max and others like this picture. Do you think there's something about seeing the dollar figures of the sales that do go through in a time like this that oh. like makes it more difficult? I mean, a hundred percent, you know, I think of kind of like the board ape yacht community club in crisis right now. Tell me more about right? that because I, I, I don't really know what's happening. I never understood the projects. Right. But here we are like multiple billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> in investment later on, on the backside of, of something. And you're kind of wondering if and where the bottom is right. And what at the end of the day is really left. Um, is that what's and, happening? Are they like bottoming out? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, they like have are free falling past punks and, you know, they overtook punks for a while. That never really made any sense to me. There's things we've talked about before, like what actually is the culture mm-hmm. of like traveling through a monkey's butthole into like collecting some sewer pass thing. Right. What can they do? Can they send more NFTs out there? Not really. They've already like diluted the supply. The way to like achieve a VC projected valuation of the company is to like produce more revenue. Mm-hmm. So what do they actually have to sell? And like, what is the cultural content? They can continue to do the supply into no demand and people will just like sell, sell, sell. So what is like actually the actual value proposition of still being there? I don't know. I don't know. But either. I've never really been involved. So I never really got it to begin with. But that kind of goes back to like my point of like the piling on and the gloating. And then it probably like cyclically makes people feel bad. And then like the people that were around and the strongest, like they kind of, ultimately get burnt. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's been an issue that, I mean, anybody could have seen coming with the like wag me mindset, right? It's like, and this idea of like forming these communities on the basis of like things you own, right? Because when those things you own and the reason you have a community is because those things are pumping When the things stop pumping, then you lose your community. And so many people with some projects more than others, but also with like, also with artworks, also with, I don't know, like cryptocurrencies themselves, right? Like big investors or big principles of Solana or Cardano or whatever, right? Like Solana lost 95% of its value in the last like year and a half. Uh, and that's not exactly super to begin with. But if you're like, if a lot of your time is spent maintaining an online community of people who are, whose main connection is having made money or formed a connection through the making of money in this ecosystem, well, when the money dries up, then the community goes away. And then you're left with like a question of like, who am I? Right. When so much of what I was, was yeah. based in the reflection of a community that is, was on stilts to begin with. Facts. I mean, you look at kind of like the, the PFP phenomenon, there's really only one that's, that's done well and that's Milady, mm. Right. And they like canceled themselves so they could become uncancelable. <laughs> We've talked about Milady. I don't understand it to this day. I, I actually get it now. I think I get it now, but we don't have to talk about it either. Um, the interesting thing about, you know, when the value of a cryptocurrency goes down, like Solana, for example, of course, Solana was very closely tied to like FTX and all of this. And, but kind of fundamentally, nothing has really changed within that ecosystem right like there's probably the still same node providers there's probably the still same vc firms there the devs are probably still like building there if anything like through these things through that big boom it attracted more people to it and it's gotten stronger i mean but i think board apes is another example of that right because like 
I mean, this is everything, but like the value of anything is based on mutual agreement. That's no, you know, grand economic. Yeah, but there's there's like an infrastructure layer and then there's a cultural layer and the culture has like such a deeper ability to fall into fad and be a fad and be a beanie baby and be a Tamagotchi, right? And maybe these things will come back around, but they'll never reach like beanie baby level craze. Whereas like infrastructure, once something is built on it and once it's running, you know, it doesn't really just like disappear overnight. Sure. Um, so like the fact that like CryptoPunks came all the way around, whatever it was, five, three, four, five years later, is the fact that like Ethereum was still there and Ethereum might have been whatever, like how much would it have been? Like, I don't know, $100 when CryptoPunks started and now whatever it is, like pushing 2000 Sure. So this leads me into a larger topic, but knowing what we know now about how these cycles work, right? Knowing what we know now about the temporality of culture, right? And it's a propensity for falling into fad and about, you know, the possible danger of investing too heavily of oneself into a community that's, you know, not built on infrastructure. When we are in a bull market again, or in a theoretical bull market, how does one adequately prepare themselves on a, more less a financial basis, but more just like a, an emotional cultural basis for, you know, a multi-year bear market like this where things crumble. It's hard to begin to like, you know, if you don't come from like a financial investor background and have a thesis in this that you kind of live by and respect, then there's no like sage wisdom that I'm going to be able to impart because what most people are going to do is they are going to get unbeknownst to them caught up in some hype cycle they're going to hear something from somebody they're going to take an action based on what another friend tells them and it's either going to work out or it's not mm -hmm. right so you know the only thing that i've learned is to like m most people of course in this system don't get to like spread themselves thin and have kind of like eyes and feelers into many different places, right? Capitalism forces people into niches. Mm -hmm. So generally you only get to see very narrowly into kind of one thing. Um, but like, how does one but, create like a realistic, like emotional scaffolding for oneself within this space? What are the mantras? Well, we if you are, if you are an artist, if you are an artist, you have to like as authentically as possible, get to, that place of your own creation right and your creation has to mirror you and it has to be like a true reflection of self in a message that you want to like explore into the void and bring back and share with people mm. right and uh you know my mother sent me like the rick rubin creativity book <laughs> and it's like i don't know you know i was just reading i'm like yeah this is tr like so true it's like so simple but like artists are channeling from the collective ether, the collective zeitgeist and bringing that thing. And I think there's nothing more powerful than being able to transmute all of this thing that's happening into a visual language that is immediately global, mm -hmm. right? So how do you build the personal scaffolding? Well, it has to be, you, you have to have, I don't know, it's, it's, it is kind of sad and individualistic Right. And you have to have those those people who you like trust and want to share and grow. And um, but I think being an artist and I think being a builder and like creator is a pretty solitary endeavor. Definitely solitary.
I, I, what you what you said makes me think about, I was reading, I don't remember exactly where it was from, but it was within some book was this characterization of a teacher who it was like this archetype of the English teacher who has like a bunch of unsold manuscripts in their desk, right. That never went anywhere. And it was saying like nothing sadder than like a desk full of unsold manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fucking bullshit. That's a person who is being driven to create again and again and again and again mm-hmm. by some ineffable force beyond, you know, financial game. It's wonderful to receive financial recompense for one's work. Um, but the idea that you would like throw yourself at the wall again and again and again, hoping to create something, you know, we like to equate value with sale price. But I think that that reflects something that is like a underlying optimistic belief that if we create something of real worth, it will find um, respect and value in the, the public culture. And then that respect and value is then given a financial figure, right? That's like the validation, um, you know, show me the money. And I, again, I think that there's something really beautiful about just creating, even with failure being the accustomed option or the accustomed outcome, the failure again and again and again and again, and then finding motivation to continue for try 15, for try 16, you know, a, a 20th book, another artwork, another, yeah. you know, EP that you are putting together from a studio session that you've like rented with some money you've scraped together. Like that's a really beautiful concept. I, I mean, we're all in an echo chamber of artistry within crypto art, but I think we often lose sight of the fact that like making art's cool. Yeah. Like we're all super fucking cool if for making art and like working with art. It's hard to explain crypto art to people outside of crypto art, but if you tell people you're a writer or an artist or like a builder, like there's just awe and maybe it's important to get outside of crypto art and talk about what you do, not to legitimize crypto art, not even to legitimize yourself, but to realize how legitimate these acts of creation of sustained creation are to people who don't have themselves inundated with it moment by moment, by moment, by moment, when you're in it, of course it becomes unspectacular. I was talking to Pindar Van Arman for an interview recently and he had mentioned that he doesn't, he said there's like 20,000 active wallets on Ethereum or something like that, but he thinks it's more like a thousand actual people are in crypto art. And if you think about how niche yeah. the movement yeah, actually yeah, is, yeah, right? Yeah. How incredibly specific, it's a specificity within a specificity within a specificity to consider oneself normalized in general because of the normalized antics within this tiny niche community is itself like kind of a ridiculous proposition. Well, and, and I know you spent a lot of time talking with like Ann Spalter about that collection, but I imagine like they felt the same thing, like as collectors of that genre at that time, whether, you know, it might've been, I don't know, a long, long while ago. It's a lot of the times that like me as a collector, I feel almost like out there alone on an iceberg. Right. And we're not getting true, like informative signal. And a lot of the signal that is being shared and amplified is not real. And I think people end up playing a game that is very like inauthentic to themselves. And that's where the divergence of what you trying to retrofit, like what you create to be something else. And that loss of inauthenticity, that energy is like transmuted and communicated through the work. And that's primarily why I think like work got worse during the bull market and that's why even like when operator was on that was such a 
return to something else because you know they they did like a long form nine month highly technical thing when they probably could have just done something quick and like and just pushed it out and that was why it was successful yeah because the, the artistry was there and it was there in a way that was undeniable right like we we play this hindsight game with ourselves right, right? artistry and crypto are both hindsight games right it's like i'm going to invest in this cryptocurrency i'm going to invest in solana and i'm not going to know whether i'm smart or an idiot for a certain length of time and then i will have validation and in hindsight it will have been obvious but in the moment of the actual doing any amount of it's a schrodinger's cat outcome right it is i am both an idiot and a super genius at once right it's the same thing with artistry right if i'm going to put together Right. A novel that's really ambitious and I'm going to put it out into the world. Well, I, if I'm basing the level of worth of the thing and myself on the public response, then at the time of the completion of that work, I am both a terrible writer and a Nobel laureate. If, if, if the value of the thing itself is going to be based on how it was perceived in hindsight, which is just always going to be a really dangerous game when we're waiting for perspective buyers, perspective sales increases, perspective green candles. There's yeah. always going to be the opportunity that we're just investing too much of ourselves in uncertainties. And obviously it's like an emotional sea change that needs to take place and it's very internal, but maybe that's like the kind of emotional scaffolding we need to at least be preparing to build, working to build, if we're going to get involved in a place that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, with like, you know, with a, a billion humans participating, perhaps there is more rationality, right, to the idea of a market. But with if it is actually just a thousand people kind of like buying and trading these things, then of course it's going to be irrational. It's going to be, you know, highly speculative. And there's going to be, you know, it's a lot easier for, at this point, an artist to help another artist figure out how to like set up a wallet and mint something and begin to try and sell it. Mm -hmm. Then it, then there is a desire for a collector go to go and set up a wallet buy cryptocurrency, transfer it, and then begin to buy something and engage in that. I tried to go out and get traditional art collectors to buy no, no interest, right? Because the technical barrier to entry is too high. So, you know, like where do we go from here? Well, we have like a technology that makes it possible to just like begin to distribute these works. And, and like, there's no reason why a million people can't own an artist these days. Right. And I think, and I think this is like some of the stuff that the original trash artists were hinting at and like what they're doing with spam art is, is like distribution at this stage and the network effect of distribution and getting your art out there is so much more important than any all-time high sale. I forget who said it, but I think it was probably Robinus and, and it was retweeted from the museum is that like, go look at the people that set some of the highest sales records and they're not minting anything, mm -hmm. right? They're not creating. And there is something to be said about like when the market takes over an artist, like what is that person's responsibility to then make their creativity scarce? Right. And to try and have the market catch up to what they did so they can push higher and higher and higher. Definitely. And you just lose momentum and you lose creative energy and you and like output isn't there. And, you know, maybe somebody like Pac is behind the scenes, like creating five years worth of projects for when like the bull market comes back. But I don't know. Well, there's like I, I think like the rare Pepe's are a really wonderful 
example to point to here because there's never been like it's been anti-value and maybe like trash art and spam art are in the same vein um and miladies are in the same vein but it's like this purposeful destruction of its own value to free itself from the constraints of needing to be valuable um i think meme culture in general does this super well yeah. like memes can't at least as proffered on like instagram or twitter in the 99 percent, right not for the like influencers who aggregate these memes and then use them to get sponsorships and so on and so forth. And most people who make memes are just doing it for the culture, right? And when you're doing it for the culture, when you're doing it for this like abstract reason of like what is more or less like social good, even if that social good is like a dick joke and a laugh, that's really powerful. It, it, the form itself is unmarried from value. And the more I've talked to these collectors for this essay, the more it becomes very stark to me that it wasn't just that all of this art before 2021 was better. It was that there was no money to be made in the first place. So there was no value attributed to this artwork. Mm. Um, art known told me a story of how he bought a, a Mohara piece for $3 yeah. and Mohara reached out to him and was like, Hey, thanks man. And I think the thing he said to me was like, it was a surprise for everyone that there was a purchase. The artist, the buyer, the platform, everybody was shocked that this even went through. Um, you know, we have the, uh, cracked the X copy piece in the collection, which I'm all, I think is just such an incredible cultural touchstone because it was sold for $10. Right. And it's like, you have to put yourself in the moment and understand that for a long period of time, there was no market for X copy. There was so little market <laughs> that him dropping like five or six different edition pieces within two days at $10 a pop was, it didn't have any larger implications. It was just, here's some art. Right at the price, you know, I paid twice as much for a Poke Bowl today. That could have been a nice copy piece in 2018. That's yeah. unfortunately not a joke. But the point being that, like, we're hamstrung by the value that is dogging us. Right? There's mm. there's too much value here. We're too aware of it. We can't mm. unmarry ourselves of it, and it's killing us. If if my books couldn't sell, couldn't sell for whatever reason, there was some block then I wouldn't be able to ascribe value from them via their sales price. And I think in a lot of ways that would free me, right? That would change the paradigm of the teacher with the manuscripts in their desk. It makes it not sad and pathetic. It makes it like really celebratory because here's just creation in a vacuum. Say something, stop me. No, I really, I really <laughs> actually was enjoying what you had to say. I, I, I think it's so right. Like there was something just so organic and natural about it. And then you begin to think like these characters like token angels and moderates and basileus and like, you know, you've had chances to talk with them and I've had chances to talk with them and they're like, like wild and crazy and so cool. And they were there and like, they keep going and supporting and doing what they can. And uh, it's, it's, it's almost like surreal, you know, there's, there's archetypes of people, you know, like who was the guy? There was one guy on Super Rare who was known. I think it was the Druid who would go and he would just put like dollar bids on everything, <laughs> right? And he accumulated like 200 pieces of just random stuff that people would sell him. And then, you know, like he, of course, it like accrued value and he flipped it. And he like went and bought like a home in Canada or something. It was like the most incredible, incredible story of 
And people used to be so mad. Like, how could you offer such little money for these things? And he's like, he would just like laugh. And it's like, this is the Druid method, you know? And it, there's, there's, there, I don't know. There was something. It's like that story of the guy who traded a paper, like up a paper clip totally. on Craigslist, right? It's like a paper clip for like a nightlight and a nightlight for an action figure that up and up and up. And I think he bought himself a house. He yeah. Like, yeah. He like sold a guitar that was owned by Gene Simmons for a house. Shout out Gene Simmons. Yeah, and shout out the guy that tried to do that with uh, with NFTs. Yeah, he made like an NFT red paper clip, and I, I think he might have gone to the point of trading it for like a, a Trevor Jones paintbrush. Mm. I think it's like at corrosive something. That was a while ago. But it like it's true, and and you even think back to like the Robness and like Max Osiris experiments that got him kicked off of Super Rare, and it's like they were destroying the the art itself was destroying their own value, yeah. and then questioning what value was and the fact that like now those pieces are so valuable in hindsight is a bizarre turn of events in that experiment it's all like the value itself is the the little demon yeah the dollar sign is the demon how i can't tell you how many stupid solana pfp projects i have invested in that i could have just sold at the top if I had just not wanted to get you know, 0.01 sold more, right? If, there, if I didn't think that there was just a little bit more value to be going right. now, I'm left with a bunch of really ridiculous, meaningless assets because I couldn't unmarry them from the concept of value, just as I'm sure the Board 8 Yacht Club, like believers are doing now, right? They're not going to be able to unsell their board apes are not going to be able to make anything back. They're just going to take losses and losses and losses because they, the, the theoretical value of the thing is affixed to everything that they do within that sphere. So how do we get rid of this concept of value? How do we destroy our own value? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we've played with that in the museum for a long time. Not like a price, not, not an like a personal sense, but just like in a, an artistic sense. Maybe. Yeah. In an artistic sense, how do we destroy, how does, how, I mean, you know, I, you, I have always respected like Mark Wilson died with the most likes for that. Mm-hmm. Right. That is very like confrontational, not serious, but also extremely fucking serious arts. Right. And does he go by Mark Wilson, Toad Wits Back or Die with the Most Likes or are they always interchangeable? <laughs> I don't think he cares. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Shout out, shout out, die with the most likes. Or, I, or I, Toad with back, or, or, or Mark. <laughs> I, got, I bet there's got to be at least like a thousand Mark Wilsons in America. Yeah. Well, there's like 14 million Jews in the world, and there's like a shitload of Max Cohen. So there you like, go. You know, I um, a majority of a minority. How do you destroy? I don't know. You can either, you know, and I think people was also very successful, of course, in not taking himself so seriously. Mm-hmm right? Presenting that archetype. The problem with the world today is that it is like too serious, I think. And there is a subculture that is trying to make all of like this doom and gloom and nihilism funny, but poignant in kind of its ironic look at it, right? Because existence is hard. Things are getting harder. Beyond the pandemic, like beyond inflation, it's just like not getting easier or sensical for people to exist. Right. And we continue to be faced with like existential threats that will be made redundant by technology. Right. There is the continued like creep of like venture capitalists, like buying all the homes and then renting it to people. Like the idea that you will never own anything and you will be happy. 
and all of this technology is going to save us. Like this is, <laughs> you know? so like even at the end of the day, and this is something that we've talked about, like the ability to own anything is, is kind of a, it's a luxury, but it's, I don't know, man, it's crazy. I mean, the mindset also like solidifies itself, right? It crystallizes over time. So like perhaps an answer is like, because I just had the thought of like, well, when things get really bad, like sit back and have a beer and like, don't worry about it so much. Unless you're gluten-free, maybe you should have a glass of wine. But like the point being, you're not going to laugh at that at all? Not even like a half <laughs> smile? <laughs> Nothing? I was, I was really thinking if, if beer was gluten-free. No, it's not. It's not. It's made of wheat. When it's made of, when it's made of wheat. Yeah. It's usually made Rice, of wheat. Yeah. Any, anyways, my point being that like, it's really hard to do that when you're like deeply invested in a thing in a way that is like really self-serious. Like I've done some Buddhist practice in my day. And a lot of that practice is about finding a little bit of wiggle room between your perception of your emotions and your emotions mm -hmm. themselves. Right. So you might feel grief and that grief might be mm -hmm. overwhelming, but if you can just find a little, like a tiny sliver of light between those feelings of grief or those feelings of jealousy or frustration or rage and whatever is perceiving them, then that like allows you to separate yourself away. Realize that like the thing is over here and the, mm. the source and the perceiver is a separate entity. And that's how like the thing is sapped of its power, right? When it consumes us, right? When we're covered in like the pain from an artwork not selling. And I've been consumed in pain from stories that I thought were really great that nobody wanted to publish and novels that I worked for years on that nobody wanted to sell. Um, and that like, you know, didn't exactly get eaten up by my friends and family either. Like, and you can really let that stuff drag you down to the pit. Mm. But you have to make the ideally like preemptive arrangement that like, you're going to preserve that little sliver of light because within that sliver of the light, you can sit back, you can take a breath, you can have a fucking beer, you can chill out and look at the thing. If not like, you don't have to be thrilled about it, but you can like not let it consume you. And I think that crypto art has a specific way of consuming us, maybe because it is economic and because it is also, you know, familial and because it also is like social and artistic, creative, spiritual, whatever you want to call that. It, it is a lot of those things, but like, it's just a silly thing in a great way, but it's just like a silly little thing that sometimes you need to take a step back from and say like, okay, this is all a little silly. Yeah, it's the, you know, it's, it's making me think of the frenetic void piece that's in the collection, right? Like this one that people just love and go crazy for of like the little man inside the head. Super, like, super yeah, 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 it's that. It's um, the Genesis piece, right? I think it was the first one that he minted on Super Rare. Oh, super Rare that's, at least, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. But shout out Frenetic. It is um, a super rare Genesis. I it is a like super rare Genesis for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's the Genesis of the Genesis, I'm not sure, but I think it might be. Um, and, you know, that's something that I think he was known for. But, like, again, like, are you, are you this experiencing or is there some sort of perceptory body that exists inside of your head, like, analyzing what you are feeling and experiencing and doing some sort of metacognition, right? And, uh, and that's what I'm talking about with the hindsight thing too, right? Like yeah. when you buy Solana at, th I should say $30, what a daydream that would be. When you buy Solana at $14 and it's going to be a day before you find out if it's gone up to 16 or gone down to 12 and you felt like an idiot or a genius, well, there's your space. There's your distance between like 
the action and the perception of that action. Right. And like, it's, it's all awareness, right? It's all like mindfulness of like, what's actually going on here? What am I actually experiencing? Well, yeah. You know, when I first bought Ethereum, it was like 14 bucks. The next day it was $16. I'm like, I'm a genius. I have to sell, right? I would have made like 200 bucks. It would have been a lot of money at the time. So then it's also about like knowing the long tail thing of what you're engaged in and having the resolve to stick around and also believing that you are not going to be like the person that traded 20,000 Bitcoin for the pizza, right? And like knowing what you have and trusting that this thing is going to continue to grow and evolve and spread because it's like in line with all of these meta trends. Whenever I hear about Bitcoin pizza, not to totally derail your point, but I think about this meme from years ago. It was a uh, nun pizza with left beef. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> it always makes me crack up. It's a somebody ordered a pizza from Domino's when it had first come out with like the online ordering, uh, and it was just none of everything, like no toppings, but beef on the left. And there's a picture of it. It's just like a <laughs> round, like, like piece of dough with like a bunch of chunks of beef just like collected in the half. Maybe, of the box. maybe I have seen that. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. You guys should look at it. Yeah. Okay, but a serious question to maybe lead us out, but. I don't think that anything that we're saying today is exactly revelatory. It's something that we need to remind ourselves of constantly, but it's, these aren't exactly like revolutionary concepts. I think a lot of people in crypto art who are very smart and wise and also from like a diverse set of backgrounds have like stumbled upon the same or come to the same conclusion. But what we haven't seen are tools within the community for its own survival. The community itself does not seem to be interested in taking care of itself, which is very capitalistic. It is not really interested in like the survival of its members. And that's, I think, a missed opportunity and also really sad. So we like to talk about the space like it's one big family and that's wonderful. But I'm wondering, like, could there be a paradigm where the community provides itself with the tools for it to like mentally survive the things it's going to do? If I had a problem with rage, I wouldn't buy a glass house make that question make sense yeah uh i don't know the only thing i can think of is like uh what was it jpeg maria paula like they just put a pause on their project like those are the most incredible people that deserve like all the success that built something for like art and curation and and you know i think of escher that shut down was doing like fractionalization of art and trying to bring more ownership and they shut down um you know we're starting to see this i think the fact that we're having like this conversation is probably getting meaning that we're getting probably near the bottom we're near the bottom we're getting you know Cobra and guarantees we're near the bottom yes yes invest uh <laughs> <laughs> i like a version of like what the wet meetup does right well they just provide an area for people to be together to talk about whatever they want Maybe we need more of those. Like, so the, the point is, is that like, unless we change the model, right? Like, unless we find out more like nonprofit, foundational, community supported and driven initiatives that are organic and self-sustainable, instead of like the VC hype driven, need to match valuation, drive growth. But also that people want to be a part of, right? Because you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I've seen so many wonderful right. projects that can't get an audience for themselves well and like blur pushing back their token incentive thing like once the subsidy is removed who is left and why are they left 
course there's going to be a bunch of trading activity on blur if people are incentivized to trade on blur but once that's gone who's going to care mm -hmm. and the fact is nobody right because it means nothing to them and they were only there for the money to begin with so why are people there what are they still doing the fact of the matter is is that like the first people are always going to be generally like very headstrong very into taking the chances wanting to build their own thing but at some point there needs to be like a coming together of these people and organization in the same way that like the pre-existing like marketing agencies came in and took over board APR club and like blew that up if there's nothing native and organic to the space then the space is hollow to begin with and it's not like a collective failure. Think of all the incredible people that we've like met along the way beyond the artists, the people that are building on behalf of the artists, like the curators, the collectors, but there is no like centralized flashpoint for all those people to get together and kind of like organize in a sustainable way. And I think that is part of what the museum has promised, but you find out that like the tech takes really a long time to build, right? And the idea of a DAO is like not quite there yet. And also like time and commitment and like who is still around. And so kind of figuring out the way to like have that revolving door and people still feel like empowered and contributing to something greater, but doing it in a slow and organic way in the face of the market, people just have dollar signs in their eyes, right? Stripped from the market, people are down to come together and build. So we sit at like a very dichotomous space mm. where like both are present. And if you don't know which side of the thing you are on, then for sure you're going to lose yourself in it. Well said. Should, cool. should we, uh, should we keep on or should we let no, down? No, I, I'm your, your poignant comment finish us up there. What are you watching these days? I'm not fucking basketball. <laughs> uh, I started the Sopranos. Nice. Uh, so season two of for the, the first time. First time. Yeah. Oh my god, you're so lucky. Yeah, I know. It's great. You're the luckiest man alive. That's why I did it. I, yeah. I just wanted to save it for myself. Um, summers are tough for me. I'm a, a big sports guy, and like, baseball's fine, but like, I'm a Yankees fan, and that's usually around this time of year pretty depressing. At least it has been for the last like decade and a half. So, uh, I need like I need to save. TV shows. It'll be like Sopranos this summer before fantasy football gets started again. Congratulations. It'll be like The Wire next summer. You've never watched The Wire? No. Nope. Oh my God. I was a film and television major in, uh, so in college. Jealous. Yeah. You're so jealous that your picture is actually disappearing I know from this dream. Um, yeah. I, uh, I've been periodically checking my phone throughout this podcast because the Celtics might be getting Kristaps Porzingis, big man from oh, you're getting, you're getting KP. Yeah. I didn't Those are the kind of things Wizards. we do. Yeah. yeah I didn't even cool know he was on the Wizards. Can't they take a break? No. Anyways, what are you up to <laughs> these days? Uh, well, we're building something called Zero One, which I'm excited about. And you're just going to leave us with that? Just we're building something with Zero One. We're excited about it. That's it. Uh, yeah, it should be launching in like the next couple of weeks. Um, it's the clock. Of, like... I thought you meant like it should be launching <laughs> any minute now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to just say briefly, the idea is that like, the idea is that we need to figure out like demand and we need to get more people involved. We need to get more creators involved. And the idea is we pay for all fees for people to mint. We pay for all fees for people to collect and everything that somebody releases into a primary market is able to be collected for free by the, the zero one network of creators. So the idea is begin to like, share value um, with one another and return 
creators to being tastemakers of each other's work to get back to kind of like what mm -hmm. is organic signal. Um, and maybe destroy a little value along the way. Yeah. Create you know, value by destroying value. 100%. Like if, if, you know, if you give it away for free, let other people do the work, let everybody participate in kind of like the long tail incentive. Don't chase dollar signs, but like focus on distribution. I think like the people who distribute a million works are going to be like, I think as, probably Robin has said like the next fucking rock stars of the ways that we communicate visually. Uh, if you have a million, if you have works in a million different wallets, there's a million different people cheering for your success. So it's really not like your highest sale on a one of one. It's just how far you can spread this, how far all over the globe you can spread mm -hmm. this. Um, My buddy and I had an idea once for a PFP project with a million outputs yeah. and uh, it was a great idea. And um, then we didn't do it. Yeah, bummer. Shout out like Max Osiris who minted like a million NFTs of the Rose Potato. Because I think the first NFT that sold for a million dollars was like for charity was a rose. Mm. And he's like, no, it was like the potato is for the people. We're going to sell like a million of these for a dollar. Shout out Max Osiris and his people's potato. <sighs> well, the original people's potato, I think, was Second Realm. Shout out Second Realm. Eric Rhodes. Eric Rhodes. There's potatoes on the fridge. There's potatoes in the fridge. You'll have to take our word for it. <laughs> Cobra, anything else you want to leave the people with? No, no. All right, kids. Oh, we're doing the Mocha fundraiser. There's nine oh, days yeah. left. Uh, we're like right there, 200 submissions. We want to get to 300, 400, 500 artist submissions, please. It doesn't, you don't have to be an artist. You can submit a work in progress. You can submit a word. You could submit a selfie. We want you involved. Everybody all together, we're making a big collage uh, that will then be sold as an open edition to help fundraise for the museum. That's fundraiser.museumofcryptoart.com. We want your artwork, and then later we want your money, but for now, we just want your artwork. <laughs> so, yes. So please give us please, your Please, please contribute. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, it's been, it's been real. Remember, zero one, take care of yourself and take care of each other. We'll be here uh, next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. So uh, we'll see y'all then. All right, this is where I usually end the stream on my... How do I do it? See that end stream button? Well, you're pointing to the sky. <laughs> look, is that over there? Yeah. <laughs>